You're listening to the Belmar Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Belmar or to see our upcoming events, visit belmarchurch.com. We are going through the book of Galatians, and uh, we sang this morning that God has broken our chains, that we are free in him. And this is the theme of Galatians, that we've been called to live in freedom. And this morning, we're going to look out of Galatians chapter 4 at a very interesting story. Several years ago, I picked up a book and read it, uh, and it was about the Vanderbilt family. Now, I didn't know much about the Vanderbilt family. I'd heard of Vanderbilt University, and uh, when I was a kid, there was a lady hawking Vanderbilt jeans, but that was about it. That was my whole, uh, that was my whole breadth of knowledge on that. Uh, but I read about this man named Commodore Vanderbilt, who really from next to nothing built himself up into one of the richest men in the world at that time. He donated the money to start Vanderbilt University. His sons and grandsons uh, built some of the largest mansions in Manhattan at the time. They built large mansions that were still in uh, Rhode Island. And then they also built, uh, one of them built uh, a house called the Biltmore in North Carolina. And at the time, it, or I think still, it's the largest residence that's ever been in the United States of America. It's now, it's like a tourist attraction. Nobody lives there, but it's huge. But the theme of this book was that just a little over a hundred years later, none of the direct descendants of Commodore Vanderbilt were worth, I think, e even in excess of like $10 million. When his sons had been the wealthiest men in the world because of shipping and railroads and all of the different things that they had done. And it was a fascinating book because it had all this family drama. We like family drama when it's not our family and our drama, right? I mean, that's what, that's what all the daytime television's about, right? Family drama. And we watch that and other shows. But sometimes in our own family, we don't enjoy that as much. This morning, we're going to look at a story of amazing family drama. As the Apostle Paul, writing to the churches in the region of Galatia, is encouraging them, pleading with them, admonishing them, listen, you cannot go back to the law. You can't go back to this set of rules and think that's what's going to get you favor with God. You found God in grace. You've got to live and walk in grace. And so he's going to go back to the Old Testament, to the very beginning, to a guy named Abraham. And he's going to talk to them about Abraham's family drama and the difference between Abraham's sons and what they represent for us today. And so in Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse number 21, the Bible says this. Tell me, Paul says, you who want to live under the law, do you know what the law actually says? 
The scriptures say that Abraham had two sons. One was from his slave wife and one from his freeborn wife. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise, but the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. Now, Paul jumps right into this drama, and for us, this is this is some, some things that are pretty far out of our societal norms, right? First of all, the guy had two wives. That's illegal today. Um, not only that, but one was described as freeborn, and one was described as a slave. So there are several things taking place that are not, that are difficult for us to relate to. But the, the general outline of the story is this, and I'm just going to go through there. I did put all these in your notes, but generally Genesis 12, Genesis 16, 17, 18, uh, Genesis 21 is where a lot of these stories are. But when Abraham was 75 years old, God came to him and said, I want you to come to Canaan. He didn't call it that. He just said, a land that I'm going to show you, but it's a land that I'm going to promise to you. That's in Genesis chapter 12. So when Abraham was 75, he said, let's go. When Abraham was 85, God said, I'm going to give you a son. Now, God had already promised to Abraham that his descendants would be a whole nation, that they would do amazing things. But God specifically at the age of 85 says, I'm going to give you a son. And that's found in Genesis chapter 16. What's interesting is at 86 years old, Abraham still doesn't have a son, but he gets a plan. Sarah, his wife, had a servant. Her name was, was Hagar. She was an Egyptian woman. And she said, I'm going to give you Hagar to be a wife. She can bear you a son, and we will raise it as our son. And so that's not what God had said to do. That's not what God's plan was. But Abraham and Sarah grew a little impatient. Now, when we read Scripture and we look at the whole thing, it's easy for us to be critical, right? If they would have just waited on God's plan, God was going to do a miraculous thing, we could see it coming. It's a little harder when it's our life, though, right? You ever grown patient? I have. I do. I have never, ever, ever prayed for patience. Never. Because I know how God answers that. So I thought, I just won't pray for it. That doesn't stop God from trying to grow patience in my life. I'm kind of a ready, fire, aim kind of guy. You know? Jump first, see where you're going to land second. Yeah, it's great. Till you land in the wrong spot. Waiting on God. The Bible talks about that a lot. That's hard to do. 
especially when when we're all tied up in knots about what's going on and we think, well, if I could just get in there, maybe I could take care of it or I've got a plan. Man, I can tell you, and, and not that I operate with complete patience today, but boy, especially as a young man, I remember the first few years my wife and I would get married or when we got married, we would have different financial issues. And man, I would jump right in and I want to take care of it. And, and God just over and over and over is like, if you would have waited, if you could have shown a little patience, if you'd let me do the work, oh, it's frustrating sometimes. But we've got to learn that. We've got to trust in God. And so at 86, Abraham takes Hagar to be his wife, and she bears a son, and his name is Ishmael. And at 99, God reaffirms his promise to Abraham. He says, no, the son that I promised to you is going to come from your wife, Sarah. And at 100 years old, Genesis 21 says that Isaac was born to Sarah. And Isaac means laughter. Because Sarah was like, this whole thing's like a joke. (laughs) I guess it was was probably one of those situations. You're either going to laugh or you're going to cry. So they named him laughter. At 103, in Genesis 21, Ishmael was mocking Isaac. And the relationship between Hagar and Sarah and Ishmael and Isaac was not tenable. And so God directed Abraham to send Ishmael and Hagar away. Talk about your family drama. And when we read those scriptures, I'll admit to you that sometimes it's difficult for us to understand. Why would God operate this way? Why would God punish this child that doesn't seem to have, to to deserve it, and yet he did do some things that he shouldn't have done? But the punishment seems extreme. But God was at work. And now we come several thousands of years later, or over a thousand years, Paul is writing to the churches at Galatia. And he takes these two sons, these two wives, this family drama, and he uses it as an allegory, as an illustration for the difference between law and grace. He says this in verse 24 of Galatians 4. These two women serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. The first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai, where people received the law that enslaved them. And now Jerusalem is just like Mount Sinai in Arabia because she and her children live in slavery to the law. But the other woman, Sarah, represents the heavenly Jerusalem. She is the free woman, and she is our mother. As Isaiah said, rejoice, O children, O O childless woman, you who have never given birth, break into a joyful shout, you who have never been in labor, for the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband. 
And you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise, just like Isaac. But you are now being persecuted by those who, sent, who want you to keep the law just as Ishmael. The child born of human effort persecuted Isaac, the child born of the power of the Spirit. Now, this is a fascinating passage of Scripture for several reasons. We know that Paul is being inspired by the very Holy Spirit. That what he is writing here is God's word preserved for us. And yet it's something that we don't see a whole lot in Scripture. And I think we have to be careful with. And that is the idea of taking something in the Old Testament or in the Scriptures and allegorizing it, uh, illustrating it, and applying it in a different way in which it was intended. As a preacher, what I try to do is go to Scripture, try to understand the context in which it was written, who it was written to, the time in which it was written, who it was written by, so that I might discern the message that God had, is trying to preserve in His Word. And, and try to give it to, try to stick with Scripture and give that message to us today. That's, Easier said than done, depending on the passage. And, and I certainly am not perfect or flawless in that. But what Paul does here is pretty extraordinary because he goes back to this story and he says, Hagar and Ishmael represent the law. Well, that's not found anywhere in the Old Testament. Now, we accept this because the Holy Spirit is inspiring it and has preserved it for us. But we need to be careful not to think that everything that we see or read illustrates something else in our life. Here's what I mean. Um, last May, my daughter got married. My middle daughter, she got married. We were in South Carolina. Uh, the uh, wedding itself took place, the ceremony itself was scheduled to take place outside. And um, that was great. It was in May. But when we got within a week of the wedding, the forecast was for rain. The reception was going to take place inside. It was all at this farm place. And uh, they said, well, you could move the ceremony inside if you have to, but it was going to be crowded and it wasn't the vision that we had for the wedding, you know what I'm talking about. Um, I didn't have a vision for the wedding. I just had a budget, but um, my wife and my daughter, they had a vision for the wedding. I didn't understand the vision. They didn't understand the budget. So anyway, <laughs> whew, I'm going to be in trouble. Um, So I don't remember exactly what the percentage chance of rain was, but it's fairly high. And my wife said, I'm going to pray. So she prayed. And that morning, every, every day, we would check the forecast and have these discussions. Can we rent a tent? Do we, you know, buy 50 umbrellas? What, what's going to happen? Are we just going to move it inside? It rained that morning. But about an hour before the ceremony, the rain cleared. Matter of fact, my, my daughter and my now son-in-law, there's a picture of them. They're standing together, and there's this beautiful rainbow. It looks photoshopped. 
but it's not. I know, it's so beautiful. And clearly, that was God's sign that this marriage was blessed and everything in their life would be perfect, right? (laughs) See where we took the left turn? And if you got married and you had an outdoor wedding plan and it rained that day and ruined your ceremony, clearly God was against you. That's not true either. Now, it was a beautiful day for us and, and made for beautiful pictures and a great memory. I don't, I don't want to belittle that. But we should not take everything as some sort of an illustration that, oh, clearly this is how God works. Because we are not God. And when God, if God always works exactly the way you think he should, I would submit to you, you do not have a big enough picture of God. Because God is a surprising God. Even in this case, now Paul is using this family drama that was incredibly old, but it was known to all of these people because they were going back, studying the Old Testament, studying the law. And he says, here's an illustration for us. So we, we, we study, we accept this illustration, we accept this allegory, but I, I just want to say it's important that we not think everything is an illustration. If you hit all green lights tomorrow morning on your way to work, your coffee's perfect, and you roll right in and get the great parking spot at your job right up front, that's not God telling you your week's going to be awesome. I pray your week is awesome. But if you hit every red light and you spill your coffee when you hit that pothole, it doesn't mean God hates you either. Sometimes we just find the potholes. This time of year, you don't have to look very hard. But he does say in Galatians 4.24, these two women serve as an illustration. Paul says we're going to take them and we're going to illustrate God's two covenants. He says Hagar represents Mount Sinai. And notice how he describes Mount Sinai, where people received received the law that enslaved them. Again, what Paul is doing is he's proclaiming the grace and the freedom that's found in Christ. That's not how the Jews looked at Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai was where Moses spoke with God as a man talks to a man face to face. It's where God gave down the the Ten Commandments. It's where God gave instruction for the nation of Israel. It's where that bond between Jehovah God and the Hebrew people was deepened. They did not look at that as enslavement. They looked at that as God's favor. And then Paul says, it also is like Jerusalem is like Mount Sinai in Arabia because she and her children live in slavery to the law. Again, that's not the way the Jews looked at it. 
Jerusalem was their capital. It was the symbol of their freedom, their autonomy, their how God had blessed them and brought them up. The, the Jerusalem was where the temple was. It was where the center of worship to God was. They, they didn't look at that as a place of slavery. They looked at that as a monument to God's blessing. And yet what Paul is illustrating here is the idea that they are people who were enslaved. Hagar was a bondservant. She was enslaved. She wasn't Abraham's first wife. She wasn't the love of his life. She was a second wife. She was there to bear a child. Romans chapter 3 of verse 20 says, For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. The law was for a specific purpose. And the purpose was showing us our sin. Not as a pathway so that we could earn God's favor. And Hagar's position was only temporary. Galatians 3 and verse 23 says, before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. My youngest daughter loves to be used as a sermon illustration. She's 15. She currently has her learner's permit. Yeah, my prayer life has never been better. Um, I'm just kidding. She's doing a great job. But what are the rules? The rules are when you have your permit, you've got to have an adult in the passenger seat with you. Why? Because you need some, some, some guards. You need some help. You need someone there to instruct you. I, I'm talking to her the whole, not the whole time she's driving, but I've, this is my third time. I think I'm better. I know I'm more patient now. She may not see it, but the other two could tell her. But I'll tell her, hey, sweetie, slow down a little bit. Hey, did you see that that light up there just turned red? I'm giving her instruction with the goal that she's going to graduate. She's going to get her license. And even there in the state of Colorado, you know, when I got my, I had my permit for three months. You didn't have to log your hours. You just went, took the test, then they gave you your license. That was a good idea. I don't know why I rolled my parents' car two weeks after I got my license, but probably not connected, I'm sure. But even after she gets her license, then only, only relatives can ride, and then only one friend, and then after a while, they graduate to where they can drive. They, they, they've got all the rights and privileges of anybody else with a driver's license. Paul said, listen, the law was our guardian. We were in protective custody, but grace has come. You're free. This is what Hagar and Ishmael illustrate. 
But Sarah, the other woman, verse 26, Galatians 4, Sarah represents the heavenly Jerusalem. She is the free woman and she is our mother. As Isaiah said, rejoice, O childless woman. And he quotes here out of Isaiah chapter 53. That's not the right reference. Now I've got to find it. I will find it. Anyway, he he quotes out of Isaiah. and, and, And what he's saying is, listen, God took the woman who was childless and has given her more children than anybody else. Why? Because this was God's plan. Even though we couldn't see it, even though it wasn't exactly uh, clear to us at the beginning, God was always going to do what he said he was going to do. And Sarah and Isaac represent freedom. Isaac was born of God's power. In Genesis chapter 18 and verse 13, it says, Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? Because when uh, this messenger, this heavenly messenger came and reaffirmed to Abraham he was going to have a child, Sarah's in the tent listening, and she couldn't help but giggle. She was like, are you kidding me? Why does she say, can an old woman like me have a baby? And then Genesis 18 and verse 14 says this, is anything too hard for God? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return about this same time next year and Sarah will have a son. Ishmael was the result of the impatience of Abraham. Isaac was the result of the power of God illustrated to Abraham. We are born again by the grace of God. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are a tangible miracle of the saving power of God. It is not that you're a good person, that you were born in a good family, that you found a good church. Listen, it is God's grace, his unmerited favor extended and poured out on your life. That is the only reason we can know God. That is the only reason we can have forgiveness because on our own, we could never do it. We would never get there. We are a testimony to God's goodness, to God's power. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 20 says this, for the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It is living by God's power. Listen, I want God's power in my life. Sometimes that means I have to wait on him. Sometimes that means I'm going to be surprised by how he works. Not only was Isaac born of God's power, but Isaac brought joy. In Genesis 21, beginning in verse 6, it says, And Sarah declared, God has brought me laughter. All who hear about this will laugh with me. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse a baby? Yet I've given Abraham a son in his old age. Sarah said, you couldn't write this. If if you made up this story, nobody would believe it. 
And yet this is what God did. He brought joy. Freedom in Jesus Christ brings joy to us. Finally, this morning, we see the blessing. Galatians 4, 30 and 31 says this, but what do the scriptures say about that? Get rid of the slave and her son, for the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance with the free woman's son. So dear brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman. We are children of the free woman. Now again, this can be difficult for us to understand. Why God would cast out, have Abraham cast out Hagar and Ishmael. We know that God watched over them and preserved them. But when we put ourselves in this situation, in this drama, it doesn't seem fair sometimes why God would treat people the way they, that, that they're treated. Why these things happen in our world. And we see that even today, do we not? I mean, I don't know your situation. I don't know all of your circumstance. But I know just the fact that you are here this morning in the United States of America puts you in the upper percentile of, of wealth and opportunity and privilege in this world. And we can take pride in being American or take pride in our country, but we didn't do anything to deserve it. I, I you know, I, I don't remember pre-birth them going, hey, where do you want to be born? I'm like, USA. Like, that just happened. Right? By God's grace. But why do we have opportunity that others in this world don't have? For some, we see others that struggle with poverty and political circumstances and war and famine and health issues. And we think, God, why, why do these people have to endure that? And the truth is, while the Bible talks about that and addresses that, I don't fully understand that. But I know this, that God does bestow his blessings on us. He says, we are children of, of the free woman. We are children of God who are born by his power and his grace. Why would we want to go back to slavery, to the law? In Genesis 21, we see the story of Hagar and Ishmael being cast out. God's plan was for Isaac to be the heir. And God was going to fulfill his plan. He always does. God also had a plan when he sent his son, Jesus. And Jesus is the, the plan for the redemption of this world. Jesus himself said in John chapter 3 and verse, verse 5, he replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of the Spirit. 
Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say to you, you must be born again. Jesus would also say in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one can come through the Father except through me. God has a plan for the redemption of this world, and it is Jesus only. There's no other way to God. You can't keep a list of rules. There's not another prophet. There's not other teachings. This is God's plan. In the same way that God rejected Ishmael and said, Isaac is my plan, Jesus Christ is the plan for this world. There is no other way. And it's impossible for grace and law to coexist. See, we live in a world where the idea of acceptance and coexistence is promoted. And in many places, that's, that's a good thing. Hear what I'm saying. I think that's a good thing. I think that that should be illustrated as much as anywhere in the church of Jesus Christ. Listen, we have people here that root for different sports teams, that have different political affiliations, that are from different racial backgrounds, that have different levels of education and income, and we can agree that we are all redeemed children of God. That should unite us together. And the, the diversity and the, the way in which we love one another despite our differences should be an illustration to the world around us. That's what Jesus said. He said, people will know you're my followers, not because you have a fish on your car, not because you spout scripture, not because you wear a Christian t-shirt. People will know you're my followers because of the way you love one another. The way you treat one another will be an illustration that you are a follower of mine. And that should be present in the church. We should work towards that. We should guard it. We should promote it. But there are places where lines are drawn. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 17, don't misunderstand why I have come. I didn't come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. Now, some people will take that and they'll say, well, Jesus said he didn't come to abolish the law. No, he said I came to fulfill it. I came to complete it. It is done, but not because I just said it's no good anymore, because I fulfilled it. I accomplished it. Nobody had ever kept the law before, but Jesus did. Not only that, but he did away with the need for it because he was the sacrifice. I tell you, verse 18, the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys the law and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, 
unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Listen, God, Jesus affirms the law, but not for us as a way to get to God. He said, listen, I'm not doing away with the law, but unless you're the best person who's ever lived, that's not going to get you to God. What's going to get us a relationship with God is the grace of Jesus Christ in our life. This, this is what God has for us. And so we might think, well, you know, can't, can't, can't we do both, preacher? Like, can't we accept God's grace, but also then try to work our way to God's favor? Those two things won't, they won't coexist. Either you're resting in God's grace and the freedom he gives you, or you're relying on working your way, because if you're relying on working your way, you're relying on yourself. So either your faith and your trust is in Jesus, or your faith and your trust is in you. And here's the truth. Our default for all of us is to trust us. We think, well, I'm pretty good, or I can do it. I can find a way. As I get older sometimes, I don't know if this happens to you, certain things just seem to irritate me a little more. Nobody? Okay. <laughs> just me. Like, I'll be at a store, or I'll be at a government office. I'll be doing something, and there'll be a line. And then that one person comes in who clearly that line does not apply to them. You know that person? Like, they got to walk to the front of the line. Is this the line? Oh, it is. Okay, well, is there another way? Because I don't know. I'm, I'm here now. Like, I'm special. That's the way I feel. And I'm just saying, like, in my flesh, I want to grab them by the throat and take them to the end of the line and explain to them that we've all been already waiting here. We're not dumb. We understand how this thing works. It's a line. You're at the end. You say, preacher, that's not very nice. I, I, it's not good. I'm just telling you. In my flesh. But if we're not careful, that's what we do with God. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And we go, but isn't there an exception, a loophole, a workaround? Listen, I've said this before, but you know what that verse means in the Greek? If you really study each and every one of those words, it means no man comes to the Father except through me. It means exactly what it says. The law and grace cannot coexist. You can't try to work your way and trust yourself and also say that you're trusting Jesus. Our faith has to rest someplace. And can I just, 
as Paul begged and implored the churches of Galatia, can I beg and implore you, don't trust yourself. You will fail. We all do. You cannot be good enough to, to earn God's favor. God is a holy God. He is a righteous God. He is a perfect God. You're not going to be good enough. I'm not going to be good enough. That's why he sent Jesus. Let us receive and rest and walk in the grace that God has provided through Jesus Christ. Let us live in freedom. Paul would say this. We talked about this last week a little bit. Remember Paul circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And in Galatians 4.12, he says this, Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from these things. For I have become like you Gentiles, free from those laws. Paul said, I've been there. I've tried to keep all the laws. All it did was illustrate my sinfulness, my failures. Now I live in freedom. Why? Because I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee? No. Because he was saved by the grace of God. So my challenge to you is simply this this morning. Number one, do you know Christ as your Savior? Has there been a place and a time where you've asked God to forgive you of the wrong things that you've done and you've repented of those sins, turned from yourself and your sin and turned to God and his grace and his forgiveness? Jesus called it in John chapter 3, being spiritually born, being born again. If you're not, if you've never been born again, today could be your day of salvation. Even right there in your seat, you can just in your heart call out to God and say, Lord, save me, a sinner. The Bible says that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, shall be born again. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you have been born again. Are you walking in freedom? Or have you returned again to bondage? Have you turned back and said, okay, I know God saved me, but I got to be good enough. I got to try to earn God's favor. I've got to try to get God's blessing in my life. I've got I've to try to do enough to please him. Listen, we we try to walk in righteousness. We are serious about our sin, and we'll begin to talk about that next week as we go through chapters 5 and 6. But it's because of what he's done for us, not to earn his favor. God already loves you with all the love he has. 
God has already extended all of his love towards you and for you in the gift of his son Jesus and the sacrifice of his death and resurrection. Let us walk and live in freedom and not return again unto bondage. Let's pray this morning. Gracious God, Lord, I thank you so much for your goodness, your love to us. God, if there is somebody here today that does not know you as Savior, Lord, I pray that even as I am praying now that they will call out to you. God, that they will confess their sin before you. They will turn from that and put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would remind us today that we live and walk and are called to live in freedom. Help us, God, to be mindful of that, to live our lives not in the bondage of legalism or the law, but in the freedom and grace that you, that you offer to us. Bless us as we go from this place today. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.